0: This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We read God's Word this morning in Psalm 110. Psalm 110. before we approach the doctrine or the teaching in the Heidelberg Catechism on Christ sitting at the right hand of God and then coming to judge the living and the dead, we read Psalm 110, which speaks of that as well. It's on the basis of Psalm 110, as well as on many other portions of Scripture that the Catechism teaches its doctrine. Psalm 110, hear the Word of God. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of Thy power, in the beauties of holiness. From the womb of the morning, Thou hast the dew of Thy youth. The Lord hath sworn, and will not repent, Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at Thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of His wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall He lift up the head. We read that far in God's holy and inspired word. We we'll turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism and Lord's Day 19. Lord's Day 19. <clears throat> Why is it added and sitteth at the right hand of God? Because Christ is ascended into heaven for this end, that he might appear as head of his church, by whom the Father governs all things. What profit is this glory of Christ our head unto us? First, that by his Holy Spirit, he pours out heavenly graces upon us, his members. And then, that by his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. What comfort is it to thee that Christ shall come again to judge the quick and the dead, that in all my sorrows and persecutions with uplifted head, I look for the very same person who before offered himself for my sake to the tribunal of God, and has removed all curse from me to come as judge from heaven, who shall cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but shall translate me with all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joys and glory. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, We are a people that tend to be naturally very nearsighted, short-term in our outlook on life, and focused on the here and now and the things of self. We tend to look inward and narrowly at what's going on now in our life. We have a very narrow scope on things below. We tend to live in a bubble, we call it, infrequently taking a big picture perspective on history and looking outward and upward. We need to look up. We need to look out. Our first... Response to hardship is not to look inward, not to look at our devices, is not to look down in dejection and despair, but we need to look up and out to Him, to the man who is also God, who sits as our flesh and blood at God's right hand. And we need to take on His perspective in life. We call it zooming out, broadening our outlook to see the long-term plan of Jesus Christ, our ascended God, who rules for His church. That's what we consider this morning when we confess He sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from thence He shall come, and He is coming the judge, the living and the dead. Take that broad, long-term perspective of the right-hand man of God. That's refreshing. It's comforting. It's for our good. God gave this view to David in a supernatural way. More than a thousand years before Jesus Christ came, God caused David to take this broad, long-term view of the right-hand man of God. He pointed David upward to Christ's throne even before Christ came and even before Christ ascended into heaven. what God did for David can be described this way. A thousand years before Jesus Christ, he fast-forwarded David's mind in a special revelation. He fast-forwarded David's mind to the time when Jesus ascended into heaven. He fast-forwarded David's mind not only, but raised David's ears into the throne room of heaven itself so that David could hear the words of Psalm 110, verse 1. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And David, inspired by the Holy Spirit receiving this special revelation, writes down the very words that Jesus would hear a thousand years later when He ascended to heaven. This is what I heard. The Lord, David says, Jehovah, say to my Lord, Christ, sit Thou at My right hand. And now we stand more than 3,000 years after this psalm was written. And God would have us rewind about 2,000 years back to when Jesus ascended. And He would have us hear the same words that Jehovah God spoke to His Son in heaven, sit thou at my right hand. And contemplate that perspective as this right hand man continues to reign today. Consider the right hand man's lordship, the doctrine taught in Lord's Day 19 and in Psalm 110. First, sitting at God's right hand. Second, ruling for His church. And then finally, coming to judge. Last Sunday morning, we considered the ascension of Jesus Christ when before the sight of His disciples, Jesus raised His hands in a benediction and then was lifted up. He was lifted up, children, not only into the sky where a cloud covered Him from the view of His disciples, And He was not lifted up to to outer space, but He was lifted up to the heaven above the heavens. He was lifted up to the throne room, we can think of the throne room of God. And Jehovah, that's the capital letters L-O-R-D in verse 1, Jehovah, the triune God, said to the man Jesus Christ who had ascended, Sit thou at my right hand. And when God spoke those words, Jesus took a position of honor, power, glory, authority. To be placed at God's right hand is a figure of speech. It means that when God said, sit thou at my right hand, children, Jesus did not take up a literal, spatial, physical position beside the triune God's right hand they're not three thrones in heaven above like three chairs up here on the platform where father sits in the middle and the son Jesus Christ sits at his right hand now we can picture it that way but that is not literally what is in heaven For you see, the triune God is not limited to space. He is the invisible One who fills all things. He is omnipresent. He doesn't have a literal right hand. He fills right and left and up and down and everywhere. Jesus can't sit at a literal right hand position. When God set the man, Jesus, at his right hand, when he said these words of verse 1 in Psalm 110, God gave to Jesus Christ a position of honor. Not a spatial position, but an honorable position as the right hand man. And to illustrate it, you can think of Joseph, the right hand man of Pharaoh. Joseph probably did indeed have a literal throne, perhaps even positioned at the right hand of the throne of Pharaoh in Egypt. But if you think about it, even Joseph, the right hand man, did not simply receive a nice seat at the right place, position of Pharaoh, but he received a position of honor and power. And Joseph didn't stay at the right hand position of Pharaoh. But he got up from his seat, and he went forth to do the work of the right-hand man because he had that great honorable position. He continued to rule even when he got off that literal seat. And so with Jesus, though he does not have a literal seat in heaven. He does have a position of great honor and power that he had earned for himself. With his suffering, with his death. Daniel saw this same thing about five hundred years before Christ. In the old testament, God would give such revelations to his people. And in Daniel, when God said, Sit thou at my right hand, Daniel saw this vision, Daniel seven, thirteen and fourteen. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man come with the clouds of heaven. So you can think of the same clouds which cover Jesus from the view of the disciples. Now Daniel sees what happens in heaven. The Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought Him near before Him, and there was given Him, that is to the Son of Man, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, in His kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. What Daniel emphasizes in Daniel chapter 7, and that which David also emphasizes in Psalm 110, is not only the glory, the beauty, the honor that Jesus received when He was placed in the position of right-hand man, but especially in the powerful rule, the powerful rule or dominion of this right-hand man of God. To be a right-hand man is to do the work as the king, to rule in the king's place. Think of Joseph who took on the duties of gathering all the necess- all the crops and all the plenty during the seven years of plenty. And then Joseph doing the work of the king in the king's place in Pharaoh's place and distributing all of the food during the seven years of famine. And so Jesus Christ, as He governs at God's right hand as a right-hand man, He does the work as the king. Catechism answer 50 says, "By whom the Father governs all things, he governs as the king. our own flesh and blood now rules with all power as the God of Providence." Think back to Lord's Day 12, when God is described as the God of Providence. We read in Lord's Day 12 that nothing can so much as move except it be the will of God our Father. But when Jesus ascended to heaven and God said to His Son, sit thou at My right hand, this is what happened. The God of providence, the triune God, said to Jesus Christ, here is My providence. You uphold now. You govern all things. You take it upon yourself. I entrust you with all power and responsibility of providence. Now everything cannot so much as move except it be your will, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1.3 Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the words of His power, when He had Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. Every creature now looks to Jesus for His care and provision. Every atom of the universe moves only when Jesus would have it move. Every one is conceived and born only according to the will of this right-hand man. And each one dies according to the will of this right-hand man. He sovereignly governs all things. He reigns over COVID-19. And COVID Delta and COVID Omicron or any variation and all of it spread to every single person and any pestilence they may come hereafter, he rules with complete control as the right-hand man of God. And every government mandate mandate of every vaccine or of every shutdown, the decisions of Governments and men and women of power. He rules as God's right hand man. Sovereignly over it all. The same Jesus Christ. The same One who gave Himself in love to die for us and then rose again is now ascended as the right hand man of providence. What a gospel. The same heart that so loved us that He gave Himself for us now rules as God's right hand man. And that's cause for daily worship and joy and comfort. What a reason to put aside our whining and our complaining and our anger against His will. What we call frustration perhaps. Stop looking and just to here and now what's going on in my life, how it's not going my way, what I planned it to do, but to take on this perspective of the right-hand man who rules with a heart of love for us. Think about it personally as David did. Notice this pronoun, my, in verse 1 of Psalm 110. The Lord said unto My Lord, the right hand rule, right hand man rules. You may say as a child of God, the right hand man rules as my Lord for me, for my good, for my salvation. The Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand. Blessed are all they that put their trust in this Lord. To be at the right hand of God means to have honor and glory. And we emphasize this morning to have power and authority to do the work of providence. But part of verse 1 in Psalm 110 and what we confess in the Apostles' Creed is the word sit. Three letters. S-I-T. Sit. And that three-letter word is not to be ignored. The idea of sitting is another point of this figure of speech. He not only is, He not only took the position of right-hand man, but we confess and we read God say to Jesus, sit at, the, at My right hand. Why sit? Two reasons. Negatively, sometimes when we think of sitting, we think of a person who's passive. Someone perhaps who sits on the couch and lazes around all day. Or maybe someone who sits in a pew and falls asleep. Who is not active. And obviously, that is not what Jesus does in heaven That's not the point of Jesus sitting. He's not passive. He's not slumbering or sleeping. He's not lazing around. In fact, He's busier than we can even think of as busy. Oftentimes in our lives, we think of ourselves as very, very busy. We think of ourselves busy because we have... 101 things we have to do in our minds and we go forth in our work we go forth in our homes and we seek to do all sorts of things that we feel we have to do well jesus christ the right hand man of god has many many more duties he governs all things he's thinking about Millions of things at one time. And he's, he's praying, remember, in heaven for all of His people. He's busy with governing all things. Sending His grace when needed. Receiving saints to glory. He's busy far more than we are. He's not passive. Perhaps when we think of someone who's busy like that, we think of someone frantically running around in a frenzy, stressed, Struggling to keep control of his life to accomplish everything as a king needs to accomplish. We sure would be like that if we had to govern over everything. We sure are like that too often in our lives when we have a few things to take care of. But Jesus is said to sit. The point is, with the great power that he has as the right-hand man of God, there is an ease with which he rules over all things. Nothing's out of his control. He doesn't go about all things in a frenzy, but he is perfect rule as the right-hand man in heaven above, and so next time, beloved. When you and I feel the chaos of life, what seems to be out of control, we feel overwhelmed by all that we have to do and we seek to go forth in a frenetic pace thinking about everything in our lives and perhaps pitying ourselves about how busy we are. Stop. He sits. He sits at God's right hand. Be still and know that He is God who rules your life. And nothing is out of control. All is in His hand. Calm He sits and thrown on high. Sitting not only points out the ease with which He rules our lives, but secondly, it also reminds us of the permanent position that He has permanent position. One who sits intends to stay for a while. One who sits is not going to move. Jesus Christ as the right hand man of God is established in the heavens and will forever rule at, at God's right hand. Psalm 45, verse 6, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of Thy kingdom is a right scepter. 2,000 years ago, we said, when he died and rose and ascended to heaven, the Lord said to this Lord, sit thou at my right hand. That happened 2,000 years ago. He hasn't stopped ruling. He sits in a permanent position. He continues today to rule and will continue to rule forever and ever as God's right hand man for the benefit of his church. For the sake of His people. That's why it's such a gospel. The catechism explains that He sits at the right hand of God that He might appear as head of His church. For the sake of His people. We know the promise, don't we? We confess it again and again in Romans 8.28. And we know, we know... All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. We know that intellectually. Now ask why. Why do all things work out for our good, for the good of His people? Here is the reason. Here is the reason. God said to our Lord, sit thou at my right hand. The one who died for us now reigns to work all things for our good. Ephesians 1.22 God hath put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to or for the church. He rules with a rod of strength. Verse 2 of Psalm 110 The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. That's the church. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. The rod of strength there can be thought of as a scepter. The scepter is a symbol of the authority and power of the king who reigns now over Zion, his people. But this Zion, notice, is in the midst of enemies. That's the second part of verse 2. When Jehovah God tells the Son, Jesus Christ, the Lord, to rule... He says specifically, rule thou in the middle of thine enemies. The enemies include Satan. The enemies include demons. The enemies include the world. The reprobate world of unbelief. The enemies include sinful natures that yet exist within Zion, within the church. The enemies include wicked men who hate the true church of Jesus Christ. The enemies include the Antichrist. The enemies include all kinds of evil temptations and false doctrines that attack the church on every side. Zion is in the middle of enemies. And the people cannot stand a moment of themselves... And thus the command to Jesus Christ, the right hand man of God, rule thou, rule thou in Zion in the midst while they are in the midst of the enemies. And the right hand man does, you see. For the sake of the people that he has purchased with his own blood, he rules so that every enemy that surrounds Zion cannot so much as move, cannot so much as spit a single word of slander or false doctrine against the church except it be the will of the right-hand man of God. He governs them, those enemies, for the good of His church. In the midst of all that has gone on. When the church of Jesus Christ today at Hope faces any attack on any side, never forget that. We can consume ourselves in self-pity thinking about how we're wounded. And yes, there is sorrow and hurt when enemies are on every side. But zoom out, beloved. Beloved, Look up, never forget the Lord Jesus Christ, the right hand man of God, does control even the insults and the hurts for us. And he preserves and defends. That's a catechism. By his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies, all enemies, all kinds. Why are we fearful? Why are we frantic? Oh yes, we must be faithful. Faithful in defending the church and caring for God's people. Ministering to those hurt. But be not frantic. Fearful. Imagining that the health of Zion depends on you and me or one minister or elders. He who purchased us is at the right hand of God, preserving, defending each and every one of His people. Even if they stray for a while. Even if they are deceived for a while. He defends and preserves and brings them back in repentance. He will. He defends and preserves each one He has bought. And beloved, as an application, be thankful. Be thankful that He has preserved the right-hand man of God, recognized that, has done this preservation and defense. Why is it that in America today, where there are so many churches compromising, giving up the truth, many people, many young people and children leaving by hordes to the world and to the false worship of this world, Wanting entertainment rather than the worship of God and Jesus Christ in a simple worship as God would have it in His Word. Why is it that while Satan attacks on every side with hyper-Calvinism, with legalism, with worldliness, with abuse, we still have a church? Why is it that this church is still a true church of Jesus Christ? Why? You know, He's told us. He's shown us. Not because of how strong we are of ourselves. He's pointed to plenty of weaknesses. But only because of the gracious rule of the right-hand man of God who defends and preserves this church as it is today in the midst of enemies. That's the Gospel. Thank God for what the right hand man has done and is doing. Besides preservation, the right hand man rules to pour forth heavenly graces, the catechism says. First, that by His Spirit He pours out heavenly graces upon His members. Heavenly graces are beautiful gifts from heaven. So that it's as though, Ephesians 1 says, and 2, it's as though we already sit in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Because the one who sits in heaven above sends from heaven heavenly blessings, graces. Remember His hands, children. The ascended Lord holds out His hands in a blessing, symbolizing the benediction at the beginning and the close of every worship service that you may remember this. Heavenly graces flow from heaven above to us as people. Not to everyone. Only to His people does He rule in this grace. Notice verse 3 of Psalm 110. Thy people, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Over His people, His church, His elect people, those for whom He has died, He sends these graces by His Spirit. There are many graces. We mentioned many of them last week. Now notice three descriptions in Psalm 110 of the graces poured out upon His people. First, He pours out willing service. A willing service in the hearts of His people. Verse 3, Thy people shall be willing in the day of Thy power. The day of Thy power refers to the day and the time in which Jesus rules as the right-hand man. In that day of power, in this day too, He makes His people willing. What a beautiful description. The word willing comes from the same root as free will offerings. Free will offerings. Not only are the people made to give of their offerings, but they're made to give of their offerings willingly. Not grudgingly or of necessity, but cheerfully, willingly. And not only of offerings, in the offering plate, money, or sacrifices of the Old Testament, but Christ Jesus pours forth His grace so that His people make themselves as living sacrifices that are willing to obey, willing to give of their service to Jesus Christ and to one another. Now, of course, of ourselves, we're in bondage to Satan and sin. We start, in our mother's womb, dead in sin. Enemies of God. In fact, if you look at the end of verse 2, rule thou in the midst of thine enemies, we start out as those enemies. And the case with our wills is not as the Arminians teach. We are not willing to do any good. We don't have a free will to choose either good or evil. But under Satan's power, we will only choose, we will only will that which is sin, that which is selfish. But God has chosen us. And God has sent His Son to die for us. And having died for us, this right-hand man, having ascended to the throne of God, now works in us to such a degree that He bends our wills sweetly, as the canon says. Sweetly bends our wills so that now we willingly believe. We willingly give of ourselves in service. We willingly worship Him. We want to come to church. And while we feel, yes, within ourselves an old man that doesn't want to serve God, the blessed gift, the blessed grace of Jesus Christ, our right-hand man, is that He has worked in us a new man that wants to, makes good choices to even, serve God. The second description of the grace of the right-hand man in us is the adornments of holiness. So first, the willing service. And second, the adornment or clothing of holiness. That's the literal idea of in the beauties of holiness. Clothings of holiness. That's what we receive. This includes the righteousness and holiness of Jesus Christ imputed to us. At the cross, he's earned for us white robes, as it were. Perfect obedience and holiness to the law. And in time, He gives that to each one of us. Clothes us. And we receive the white robes of Jesus Christ that are clean in the sight of God. Forgiven. Justified. Clothed in the beauty of His holiness. Even though we ourselves are ungodly. But more, having done that, this ascended Lord Jesus Christ does more. He also works to pour, as the catechism says, heavenly graces upon them and into them. A holy life, holy beauty begins. Yes, it's a small beginning. But again, begins to be worked inside the hearts of God's people so that they bring forth a holy life. They put on the holiness of the new man. And live. And that brings us to the third description of verse 3. From the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth the right-hand man of God gives us the regenerating Spirit. That's what that description shows. From the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth, the regenerating power of the Spirit. The picture is that of the sun rising in the morning. When the sun rises in the morning, sometimes children, when you look out in the window, you see dew on the grass. Crystals, it seems of water that drip down the blade of the grass and into the soil, invigorates the soil, Cause that grass to grow up with a youth, a life. That's the picture of the Son of Righteousness, Jesus Christ, was risen with healing in His wings, and now sits as God's right-hand man and sends forth the dew upon you, you, His people, upon your children, to regenerate, to give the dew of the Holy Spirit, that you might be like that ground of yourself, barren, and now springing forth with life of youth, regenerated narrowly to be born again, and then revived by His Spirit, strengthened day by day even to live for Him. That's the effect of the right-hand man's gracious rule over His church, making them willing worshipers, adorning them with His righteousness, and even working in them His holiness. And reviving them, regenerating them unto youthful vigor in His service. Out of Zion. Not only over Zion, though that's included, but verse 2 says, the Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Meaning, from the church and then outward. Beloved, don't think only me, myself, and the ones here. But outward. The right-hand man of God rules outward. Out of Zion, He brings forth His rule of grace also. And that means that He spreads His gospel to the ends of the earth. To Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. The right-hand man does not only rule for one church. He does. But not only for Hope, PRC, not only for the Protestant Reformed denomination, but outward to His people wherever they may be, that He may gather from the nations all of His people. He spreads His Gospel to continents of Europe and North America and South America and Asia, to Singapore, to India, to the Philippines, to Myanmar. His rod of strength or His scepter doth rule to bring into subjection the hearts of those not yet converted under His service. That He may bring about the end. The judgment. Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. Presently, He's working to do this. He sends His white horse white horse of the preaching of the Word. And He uses us sometimes, but He doesn't always just use you or the Protestant Reformed churches. But He causes that Gospel to run forth to the ends of the world so that each one of His elect people that Christ Jesus has purchased, that He has purchased, the right-hand man now gathers, brings under His subjection, clothes with His beauty of holiness, invigorates with His dew of the morning, makes them willing Worshippers of Him. And when each one is gathered, then He judges. And the end will come. Verse 5 calls it the day of His wrath. The day of His wrath. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of His wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. That's quite a picture. Jesus, the right-hand man of God there, is pictured as one who not only descends upon the clouds that He had once ascended to heaven with, but now He rides forth as the general, as the captain of His army. It goes through all the Earth to destroy all of his enemies. It's a bloody scene of a warrior king come to judge, to bring judgment, to wrath against those who would reject him, and to cast all of his enemies into hell. And that judgment, it's a judgment of the living and the dead. We confess that in the Apostles' Creed, and that's what the catechism is explaining of the living and the dead. The living are all those who are alive when He he comes at His second coming. The dead are all those who are now in the grave who are dead when He returns. All living and dead, the dead being raised from the dead, will be brought before His judgment seat. And he will judge. He will bring publicly to view the deeds of all. And then he will declare his verdict either guilty, worthy of eternal damnation, or innocent, righteous, worthy of eternal life. Does that give you cause for fear? Those who are impenitent, those who continue willfully in sin, who do not turn will fear. That is the consequence of sin. And we'll fear this coming judgment. And He comes soon. And the calling therefore to you, if you continue impenitently in sin, is turn today as you hear the call. Repent and believe. Believe in Him. Rest in Him. And turn from your sin but for the beloved church in whom He has worked a repentance and a faith, there is no reason to fear. It is a comfort for the same person the catechism explains. The same person who has died for us the same one who has given himself for us, the same one who is the priest after the order of Melchizedek, as Psalm 110 indicates, who sacrificed his body and soul on the accursed cross, he returns to judge. To judge with the same love with which he died for us. To judge with the same love with which he now rules and preserves and protects us, the church. He comes to judge us in His love. In the same mouth that spoke, Father, forgive them, will, not, will surely speak the same kind of love to us. Enter into the joy of the Lord. The same hands that were pierced will surely lead us into the heavenly joys and glory. So that in spite of my sins and your sins, He will judge us in the basis of the righteousness that He has earned that He has clothed us with. That last judgment, you see, will be for us. Not only in the sense that it will be for the bringing of us unto glory. But the last judgment also, as the Catechism indicates, will be for the destruction of His and our enemy. That in all my sorrows and persecutions, with uplifted head, I look. I look for the same person who has died for me. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you.